Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 107 and reading for our text, verse 9. Psalm 107 and verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 107 and verse 9. Our text is the reason for the praise of verse 8. O that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul. This is the reason why in this instance that the Lord is to be praised and thanks is to be given to him. The text is a closing verse to the first section of this psalm. So it really gathers in all that is said right from the beginning of the psalm to the text and this then is the crowning blessing of that section. There are several sections to the psalm and each one an experience or typical of the experiences of the people of God, varying experiences, experiences where they fall down and there is none to help and the turning point each time is prayer Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. A reminder that we go from one trouble to another trouble, and one time where we cannot help ourselves to another, and yet we think, well, wouldn't we learn the lesson? And if we fell down, there was none to help first, that surely we'd go to the Lord first, but... We don't learn that easy, do we? Very often we turn to him the last, go to him the last. But there's a reminder here that it is often the path of the people of God. They would mourn over their backward hearts, slowness to learn, and yet the Lord's goodness to each time come in for them and answer their prayer and deliver them. And really, though our text is the crowning verse for the first section, the last verse is a beautiful verse. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. It really sets us to realise that what is set forth in this psalm is to be observed observed in our lives, in our experience, is not just something that the psalmist wrote and the psalmist experienced and we observe in the word, we observe in our lives. And those are precious times when we find the word of God actually describes our path and our way, that we come in with the psalmist that which the Lord has brought us through interprets the word of God. The Psalms especially are the breathings of the soul. Some of the Psalms we are told what the accompanying providence or the outward things that were happening. The Psalmist tells what is going on inside. We might look at what someone else is going through, but we can't tell what they're going through in their souls, what is actually between them and the Lord. One thing that I would say regarding the Psalms is being the experience of the people of God, very often the only time that they are written is when there's being brought out the other side. This Psalm has again and again through in that cause for praise and exulting in the Lord. But if it were at the time when they are falling down, that they are in their trouble, then it's like those in Babylon. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? 
there's a time of singing, there's a time of mourning, there's a time when we might say with Jacob, all these things are against me, and there's a time then when we're able to see what the Lord was doing. And sometimes then we'll go, and this is how I found it, uh, I'd start reading a psalm and feel so encouraged because the language that was used just suited me. I could come right where that psalmist was and he was coming where I was. But then as I read through the psalm, he left me behind and he started to get into language and experience that I had not experienced yet. Uh, and so I discounted the whole psalm as if that could not be for me. And yet afterwards I realised that the psalmist was in that place, I was in that place, and in due time the Lord brought me out and so I could then sing or read the whole psalm and walk in the whole psalm. So don't be discouraged if you can walk a few verses in the psalm and there you stop, turn it into prayer and ask the Lord to bring you on further in that psalm, bring you to the conclusion so that you can also praise and also thank the Lord. And so that is the pattern of this psalm and in observing and then understanding the loving kindness of the Lord. If we have the children and we give them something nice and pleasing, they don't need to understand much. That they can see the love, they can think it is a pleasant thing. But if they do something wrong and they're smacked for it, they're chastened for it, then it takes some understanding to understand that actually there's probably more love in that chastening than there was in the gifts that were given. And we read in Hebrews 12 that the Lord chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. It is a blessing. And yet many of the Lord's dealings with us, they do have to be understood to trace in it a loving kindness of the Lord. So then our text is the crowning blessing really of those that are redeemed and gathered in described in verses 2 and 3 of this section. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So with the Lord's help, I want to look at three points. Firstly, a redeemed soul, and then secondly, a soul gathered and led forth and lastly, a soul satisfied and filled. Firstly, a redeemed soul. That is how this section begins. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth for ever. The redeemed are to say so. What is it then to be redeemed? Set free by a payment of a price. The redeemed of the Lord. Those that the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed. That he has paid the price that is required to redeem them. Over in Australia we had a system where you could buy things in the uh, store and yet not pay for them and you could just pay a bit off as you had the money and when the full price had been paid then you went and redeemed them and you, you could take your goods and take them home. To take them home before the full price was paid then you would be charged with shoplifting. You couldn't do that. You also might have something like we used to have, say, tickets on a, a cereal packet and if you gathered a number of these tickets then you could go and redeem them for uh, some goods or put them towards something. The token itself wasn't worth anything uh, but it was because it was said that it was worth something. 
that if you had these evidences, these tokens, then they were worth that to redeem something. You could redeem these tokens for some, some goods. And we're the people of God, they are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. But the tokens of that, that which they are given here below, those tokens, that's not the blood itself, but is the blessings and the fruits that flow forth from that. They are the tokens, they are the evidences of what Christ has done and accomplished. There is a people that are redeemed of the Lord. Maybe we're very clear on that. There is a people on the earth that has been right from the beginning of time that are described in this text or this section that are the redeemed of the Lord. Our Lord refers to them. He says, Thine they were, that is, the fathers, and thou gavest them me. They are chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. They are classed as his people in the naming of our Lord. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It tells us he has a people and that they are sinners and that he shall save them from their sins. And the way of saving from sins is by redemption. And that is taught right through the word of God. God had respect unto Abel's offering, but not unto Cain, because Abel's was a blood offering, and Cain was of the fruits of the field, his own labours. We have the word that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The children of Israel in Egypt, nine signs that reduced Egypt to Complete ruins as Pharaoh's servants told him but could not release the children, could not set them go at all and they remained bound in Egypt. And they must have wondered what must happen before we are set free. And maybe it is with you. Things happen in your life, things happen in others and you begin to wonder what must happen before I am set free. What must happen before my heart, heart moves? What must happen before the Lord blesses my soul and sets me free from sin, from the world, from condemnation, from the law, from the sentence of death? What must happen? And the children of Israel must have thought that. But the Lord devised the way they didn't. And the Lord specified every part of how that they should be brought out of the Passover, the lamb, the blood had to be shed, the lamb had to be slain, the people had to put the blood upon the lintel and the doorposts, they had a shelter beneath that blood, and they had to rely upon the promise of the Lord, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see it, they're inside, they cannot see it, but they're sheltering beneath it, and that same night they're thrust out of Egypt. That did it. And there is pointed so clearly in our Lord when the night that he was betrayed with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He was prefigured there. The Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God. And so then he instituted the Lord's Supper as they were eating. And the Church of God is never to forget that precious blood that was shed at Calvary that redeemed them, that set them free, that delivered them from the Egypt of this world, from the bondage to sin, from being held in fetters that nothing else but the precious blood of Christ and set free from. Again, the children of Israel had redemption reinforced on them. You can read it in Numbers 3, the latter part of that chapter, when the firstborn of the children of Israel, now it's worth the firstborn that would have been slain if the blood had not been on their doorposts, 
that the firstborn were to be redeemed by the Levites. The Levites were the Lord's people. They were uh, to be numbered and the firstborn to be numbered and they were to be matched one for one. One Levite to redeem the firstborn of the children of Israel. But then there was... I think 273 extra, the firstborn. And so then there was paid five shekels according to the measure of the sanctuary, into the sanctuary to redeem those that were over. And the message is, it is a one for one redemption, particular redemption. It is very specific in the, in the scriptures, not a general redemption. Christ did not die for every man, woman and child in this world. He laid down his life lovingly for his sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says to the scribes and the Pharisees who were not receiving him, ye are not of my sheep. How did he know that? Therefore ye receive not my word. My sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. The Lord has a redeemed people, a redeemed of the Lord. And may our desire be this evening, may our prayer be, Lord, numbered with them, may I be, now and to eternity. May I be amongst those that were redeemed, those that were given by the Father to thee to redeem. I say the hymn writer, he saw me lost and ruined in the fall and loved me not, withstanding all and that we might have that real desire and ask of the Lord that we might be the recipients of the blessings that flow from that redemption the Lord says that he will and he has the commandment to lay down his life and take it again and it is to redeem his people redeem them from Satan from sin from condemnation redeem them unto heaven and bring them to be with him where he is. And the people of the Lord that are redeemed then will have a gathering in time. So our first point, the redeemed soul, won't just remain a redeemed soul, they will be gathered in time. And so I want to look at that in our second point in verse 3 we read and gathered them gathered them out out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and we have then in the verses verses 3 down to verse 7 a description of those that are gathered. And they gathered first in time. They gathered first here below. And we would remember, of course, this is Old Testament, but it's very clear in Isaiah, clear right through the Psalms, that the Lord has always intended it to be in every nation and kindred and tongue. The Ruths, the Rahabs, they testify to that in the line to Christ, Gentiles. And it is so today in every nation, kindred and tongue, the Lord will be gathering a people. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. None can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. When our Lord was on earth, it must have been a, a wonderful sight, amazing sight, to see thousands gathering unto him, to hear his word, to be with him. And really we might say as well, in the times of real reviving in our land, the days of Whitfield especially, when he was preaching to the miners, And when he was preaching in the open air, uh, some 30,000 used to gather to hear him preach. And a gathered people is a gathered out. 
one here, one there, and brought to Zion, brought to Christ, brought to him, and gathered them out, out of the lands. And I always felt this to be precious in a way, living in Australia is where I was called. He has left the South last, but what a mercy that that wasn't left out. And in every point of the compass, the Lord has a people. May we never in our minds rule out any and think, well, the Lord hasn't got a people there in every nation, kindred and tribe. But then we have a picture of this people, a description of their experience. And we read in verse uh, 4, that they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. In other words, they were pilgrims. When we uh, read in Hebrews 11, that long cloud of witnesses, those that walked, lived, died by faith, we read a summary there. In some of them we have the instances, like Noah, of how that he built the ark. Abraham brought out, gathered out from Ur of the Chaldees to go into a place he did not know of before. And yet then we have this in verse 13, a summary of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, that is, not having seen Christ in the flesh, come in the flesh, but having seen them afar off, the promises of the seed of the woman, the price of uh, blood, Christ coming, the sacrifices, they, they saw them. Abraham saw my day, says our Lord, and rejoiced at it, were persuaded of them and embraced them. I wonder how many of you are seeing promises afar off. You say, I can't lay hold that that is a promise to me but you're embracing those promises, you want those promises, you plead those promises. Those are sacred times when you can look back and you can say for years, I plead, I long for such a promise and the Lord has given it to me. The Lord has appeared for me and fulfilled it. Sometimes we can see the grace or blessings in another and we covet earnestly the best gifts and we say, if I had that person's faith, if I had their blessing, and by and by the Lord can turn it round and say, you may know what you felt, what you said those years ago. I've given that to you now. And sometimes it's not realised until it is shown what the Lord has done, what the Lord has changed and appeared for you. But we have this picture of those then embracing these promises, but they do something else. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And we read here, For they that say such things declare plainly they seek a country. And truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, gathered out, gathered them out of the lands. Now speaking of the world, this world that lieth in sin and wickedness, this world that is a godless world, a world in which they say, depart from us, we desire not the knowledge of thy ways, this world in which the Lord said of his people, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. That's the only thing there is need to be for the world to hate the people of God, is the people of God to have the word of God, and walk by it, and love it, and esteem it, and the persecution will be because of that. You think even in Jeremiah's day, even the Jews, and well, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who spake so perfectly the word of God, and yet they took his words, and they crucified him. But we have a people then that are described as these gathered out, that they are now pilgrims. They are those, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, gathered out. 
They wandered in the wilderness in the solitary ways, put in another place, a sparrow alone upon a housetop. Then the Lord first began with me, and he made me, brought me to seek the things of God, to go to every service I could, and to be seeking for my soul, seeking the word of God. But he worked in another way too, which I didn't recognise at the time. And the things that I was doing, the choirs I was in, the youth orchestra I was in, and various other things, things that I used to love, being in auditorium, on stage, or perhaps listening to an orchestra playing, and it all became just vanity and empty. And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand myself. I thought, why this? I used to enjoy this. I used to like doing this. But now I don't. And I, I just I just want to get out of that atmosphere. And the Lord in that way put what Solomon says, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And there's a stamp of vanity on it. Now I tried and tried to keep going with the choir, but in the end I had to depart from them. I couldn't continue. And really... It was because of the hymns that they were singing, the way that they were singing them. Those hymns were made precious to me. They, they, the words meant a lot. And, and to have them sung, and when I'm on stage, said, well, this is sung at the football stadiums, or perhaps you're practising, and in the middle of a line you're told to stop and to sing it slower or faster or in a different way and, and I, I just couldn't couldn't do that and it's a blessed thing when you're brought out and it's because of the things of God because of the tender conscience because of the preciousness of the things of God because of the incompatibility between an exercise and a living soul and a world that knows not the Lord and walks after the things of this world. And one seems to be in a real solitary way, and that many do not understand, and you try and explain, and, and, and they don't know. When I tried to explain to the choir why I had to leave, they couldn't understand, and they didn't really accept it, but they had to, because they didn't go anymore. But it is the description here, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, found no city to dwell in. And the Lord will have it so. The Lord says, this is not your rest, it is polluted. This is, this is not the, where the people of God are to remain. And I know I may have mentioned it before, but always think of taking a service at the pilgrim home and there was a man just in front of the lectern and I, I didn't know him. And uh, as I was speaking, his, his face shone. He loved the word. He was drinking into the word. And I said to him afterwards, I said, are you just in for convalescent or, or you're in here permanently? Or he said, he said I'm in permanently. And then, then his face changed. He said, but not permanently. He said, my home is above. This is not my home. And just to see his face shone. And, you know, three months or so later, the Lord did take him home. That is a lovely, a blessed prospect to realise this is not our rest. We may go from one home to another home, and the home we're in lasts before we're taken, but it's a precious thing to have a heavenly home. And that will be reflected that while here below, we are brought to be pilgrims to heaven bound, sojourners, passers through. This is not our rest. And to actually feel that and to know that, to be that prepared people for a prepared place and to be thinking of that place. We might have a loved one and we might think, well, we'd like to have a nice bungalow for them and a nice place in their retirement we don't tell them about it and we, we do it all and we get the building all right and nice for them and then we spring it on them and say, look, we've done this for you. And I said, but I don't want to go there. Uh, I'm happy here. 
happy where I am, I don't want to go. But if they knew you were doing it, if they felt their need of it, and they'd be all the time thinking about it and asking, is it ready yet? And when can I go into it? And then when they were told why they'd been thinking about it, longing for it, how glad they would be to go into it. And so it is with the people of God. If the Lord has a mansion for us, a prepared place in heaven, he will bring us to desire it, to want it, to think of it, and to long for it. And also he put a thorn in the nest here below, so we do not settle down as if this was our rest. The Thessalonian church, when they were called, were called to wait for his Son from heaven. And may we be the same. But then there's the description here of their being, in verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. So here's an appetite. Here's the blessing and the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, uh, for they shall be filled, that which we sung in our middle hymn. A thirst for something that the world does not thirst for, does not want for, an appetite for something the world has no appetite for. By nature we do not understand our unrighteousness as filthy rags. We think our work's acceptable to God. We have no need of the provision from the Lord. But here is a soul that is redeemed and they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Those two are the things that go together. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that puts away sin, that blots out sin. It is the righteousness of Christ that fits us and clothes us for heaven so that we may stand there unashamed. The righteousness of Christ does not cover our sin. Our sin is blotted out by the precious blood of Christ. But without righteousness, we cannot stand before God. Nothing unholy, unclean can ever enter heaven and we cannot appear naked it must be clothed Aaron, Adam and Eve were ceremonially as it were clothed with the skins that came from the animals whose blood was shed and it is uh, in the hymn writer without a scene this garment's wave bequeathed in everlasting love their time began ordained to be a royal road to cover thee. They said, they cast lots for his vesture, let us not rend it. No, it is not rent. it is to be a covering for his people that have no righteousness of their own. And so we have this hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for the word, mine ear hast thou opened, he that hath an ear let him hear, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now we come to verse 6, and we find them in trouble and in distress. And this path that they're walking in, this is their trouble, but this is sanctified to bring them to prayer. In their trouble they cried unto the Lord. In their trouble. Not when they got out of it, but when they're in their trouble. May we always remember that whatever trouble we are in, there is a cry in that trouble. And then the Lord brought out of the trouble. And then we have in verse 7 that this people is not only a soul gathered, but a soul that is led. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. In John 10, the Lord says of himself as the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. When he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them. Moses, he asked the Lord that he might see his glory. And he said that I shall make all my goodness pass before thee in the way. And that goodness is entering in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in that which he does. Why the praise here, the oh that men would praise the Lord, it's for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And when we see the goodness of the Lord, goodness to suffer, bleed and die, his wonderful works of redemption, we see what he has done for his people. And then added to that is that those whom he has chosen, he will call them and quicken them and gather them and draw them. It is his work. And dear friends, may you trust in the Lord, trust in his leading, trust in his direction. He, he leads in the way of teaching and sometimes well, I think with the prophets, sometimes they had to go down to the river, hide the girdle in the river. There's a lesson in there, cleaving, and left outside, separate from a man, hidden, and, and it's good for nothing. He was led down to the potter's vessel, potter's house, and there he had to learn lessons there. And there are things that we are led into and those things that I've known, where the Lord started a matter and finished a matter, and at the end, beginning to the end, I looked upon it, thought that is not been for my temple good. There's been nothing material as to why I had to do that, why I ventured in that, and brought to the end. But there was spiritual profit. There was a blessing for my soul, and I still remember the first time of realizing that because I've known so much of the Lord's provision and leading and guidance, and help in providence, and could see providential things. Then to realize the Lord had done something not for my body, not for temporal good at all, but just for my soul. And the realization of that is so softening, such a wonderful, blessed thing to realize that the Lord was doing these things for my soul. Some of you might be tried and tempted. Are we just in receipt of blessings providentially? You can see those. And you tried it. Is, is this the only thing? Is the Lord only doing this? What about my soul? What about my need for eternity? I can't deny what he has done for me in providence, in leading, healing, providing, helping. But what about my soul? Dear friend, watch still, watch on. And you might find even with those things for providence, there's still spiritual lessons. Remember though the parables that were told to the Jews those parables had spiritual lessons in them, but many went away, they never had that. But the psalmist prays, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And the disciples came and asked the Lord to expound to them these parables. So may we turn this into a, a prayer that the Lord would lead us and lead us into his truth Lead us into paths of righteousness as the good shepherd where we shall feed, where we shall be found in the right way that shall end up in the city of habitation above. And where we are able to discern that, may we be able to discern our character here. Not only a redeemed people, but a gathered people. And it may be we can see our being redeemed from being gathered. And we know our redemption by what the Lord has done in, in gathering us because he doesn't gather those that are not his to do what he will with, but he gathers those whom he has purchased. So just another thought under this second heading and that is thinking of when the Lord comes again or when in the case of most it will be when they die. The Lord shall gather them then. We read that when the Lord shall come with power and great glory in the clouds of heaven, he shall send forth his angels and he shall gather his elect from the four corners. And we have the same gathering 
And they're saying, gathering unto him, wheresoever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. Where Christ is, there his people will be. Where his people are, there Christ will be. They won't be separated. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and he will gather them, and they shall be gathered unto him, an innumerable multitude in heaven. And what a gathering that shall be, what a blessing that that shall be, a real physical gathering together. And so here below, this is mirrored as well in the gathering together of the people of God. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, so much more as you see the day approaching. The disciples, when they were persecuted, they were let go, they went unto their own company. When the Lord begins that work of grace, there will be a drawing to the people of God. Ruth said, Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou dwellest will I dwell. There will, uh, thy, where, there will I be buried, uh, and if all shall part thee and me, she all but death. And she claved, she claved to Naomi, she claved to the people of God. And that will be the effect of this gathering. It's not just a gathering and ending up just being a Christian here or there and isolated. They'll be wanting to meet together. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And it reflects that desire of the people of God, not only to be gathered out, but be gathered into the fold and into where Christ is and his people are. And that will be the desire, not just then to be in the assembly as a congregation, but also in the church of God, around the Lord's table, and with those that are professing the faith, that all of them around that table were redeemed at the same time, in the same place, for the same way, the same precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. And their hope, their only hope is centred in that precious blood shed for them. And so that will be the leading forth of the Lord for his people. He'll bring them into the assemblies of the people of God. He'll bring them into the church of God on earth and he'll bring them to the church of God above triumphant, a soul gathered and led forth. And lastly, I want to look at the specific words of the text which is a satisfied and filled soul satisfied and filled soul in the prophecy of Isaiah we have in chapter 55 a beautiful invitation to those that thirst how every one that thirsteth come ye to the waters he that had no money, come ye buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which satisfieth not? That's not the satisfaction here. It is an invitation to that which does satisfy and we may say in this, it invited to the gospel table, invited to the gospel message, the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that which is good news to those that are deep in debt, that which is the word of God and the preaching of the word. In the Psalms here is the beautiful Psalms of Psalm 65 and verse 4 Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. This is where they shall be, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house 
even of thy holy temple. You may say thy house, the Lord Jesus Christ, destroy this temple in three days or raise it up again, but also the house of God, where the people of God gather together. And that is reflected as well in Psalm 36 and verse 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. We read that it has pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why is it that the Lord has ordained that his people gather together, regularly gather together, gather in his house? Why was it when they gathered in the upper room, the Lord himself met with them, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord? Why is it that he has said, Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? Why is it that we have the beautiful illustration of the Lord walking on the way to Emmaus, meeting the two in their trouble, sorrowful and downcast, and he begins to speak with them, he chides them first, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, But then in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, and their heart burned within them. He was preaching them a sermon from the Old Testament, pulling out all of those things of himself, all the types, all the shadows, all the appearances uh, to to Jacob and the ladder and the wrestling and to Gideon uh, and to Abraham and the the three men and the Lord that remained with him. All of those appearances of the Lord. They wrestled a man with Jacob until the dawning of the day. Thou hast wrestled with God and with man and hast prevailed. Their heart burned within them. You know, they were satisfied. Satisfied with living bread. Satisfied with the word of God. The bread of life sent down from heaven. The Lord said in John 6, Except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. And many were offended. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then the Lord clarified it. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jeremiah says, thy words were found and I did eat them. They were to the joy and rejoicing of my soul. And may we be clear on this, this satisfaction This wanting no more, this having our cup full, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he is found in the house of the brethren of the Lord. There the Lord comes and there the Lord speaks to his people, reveals himself to them and that satisfies them. It is through the preaching of the word through the Lord meeting with his people in the word, like he did with the eunuch, reading Isaiah, not understanding it, don't know whether it speaks of himself, the prophet, or another man. And yet through one sermon, Philip comes, he begins at the same scripture and preaches unto him Jesus, and he's brought to believe in and trust in the Lord and to walk in the ordinance of baptism. We need to be clear on this. Some look for visions. Some look for wonderful happenings in providence. You think of our Lord with the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man opening his eyes in heaven, in hell, and he said of his five brethren, you send Lazarus to them and warn them. And the Lord said, they are Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Oh no, he said, if one were to rise from the dead, then they would believe. And the Lord said, if they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe, even if one did rise from the dead. And of course our Lord did rise from the dead and the Jews still didn't believe. They sought to cover it up. But their point is this. Our Lord created the world with his word. And the word is that which he feeds, quickens and nourishes and satisfies his people 
Paul says of the Thessalonians that, that they receive the word preached that not as the word of man but as it is in truth the word of God and it is that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and where faith is brought to view the Lord to see him suffering in our place to see what he has done for us accomplished for us and to see the beautiful plan of salvation and our interest in it that satisfies the soul a belief in that says my works I need them not I need nothing but this blood nothing but this righteousness this is all I need this is all that my soul longs after and it is only the Lord that can bring that sweetness and power and satisfaction through sometimes just one word, just one word, how sweet and precious it is. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And in these gospel days when we see the Lord in his word, and when then our heart burns within us. And you know, you might say, well, how will I know if I had a blessing like that? Well, the word of our text is that he satisfies the longing soul. You know, if you're hungry naturally and you go to a meal and you have that meal and you, you, you leave it and someone says, oh, we, we, we've got some more things here. And I say, look, I've had enough. I'm fully satisfied. I don't need anything more. And this is, this is the witness of receiving that blessing. You're satisfied. You know, my dear mother, when she was dying, dying of cancer, and I used to creep up the corridor and in the night season, and she used to be praying aloud, and I used to try and write down some of her prayers and longing to, that the Lord would open the ark and take her in. And it was just incessant prayer and crying to the Lord. And then there was silence. And then she said, oh, the blessing that she'd had, and that she was a miracle of grace. And the difference was amazing. There was no more crying. There was no more begging. There was no more pleading. She was completely satisfied and could only speak of the blessing and the peace she had. The difference was so remarkable. And here, if we are satisfied, we're no longer crying. You get a lion who's roaring after its food once it's got its food. There's silence and it's got what it wants. And may we know that blessed satisfaction with what the Lord has given us and blessed us with. May we be longed or hungered and prayed many a day. But then comes a time when we're able to say, all is settled and my soul approves it well. And that in under a blessing, under the favour of the Lord, we are satisfied with what he has granted to us. Well, may the Lord add his blessing and grant us to be that satisfied soul, a filled soul, and a soul that praises the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, even to us. Amen.